Welcome to the 30th episode of the Invincibly Supermassive Comic Book Podcast of Stuff. I'm Tony Guerrero, Editor-in-Chief of ComicVine.com. And with me this week, we have the writer extraordinaire, Rick Remender. How you doing? I'm good, Tony. How you doing? Pretty good. So excited to talk to you. There's so much to talk about. I know we don't have a lot of time. I don't want to get in the way of you writing all these great books. Sure. Very important, <laughs> very important work I'm doing. Yes, it is. Um, <laughs> no, I, 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 I'm going to say it is. Um, so I say so. It's my show. All right. You're, you win. Okay. Right. So this week we have Captain America number seven is coming out. Yeah. Um, so, so things have been pretty crazy throughout your, your entire series. Um, and, and, you know, I, I've seen some stuff that you, you talked about before is you kind of want to go with, with like the seventies field, you know, and at first I, you know, I'll admit I was just kind of like, Hmm, you know, this is different. But then I was like, yeah, this is different. That's that's great. Um, what made you decide to to take Cap to Dimension Z and you know get into all this stuff? Well, I think for one, it's important to to continue to push things in new directions and try new things. Obviously the safe bet would have been for me to do some dire dark um um spy story. Uh, that would have uh, been a lot of fun, and it's an, it's a, it's a definitely an era an area that I'll I'll be falling into later. Um, but the safe choice is always the one that I I, I feel sort of the most. Mo- uh, there's no challenge in it, and it's a bit boring. Um, I'm a new writer coming on a book that has been written by the same beloved writer for the past almost decade now in Ed Brubaker. And um, I'm also somebody who's mostly known for my sort of uh, toothy science fiction uh, in, in things like Fear Agent and, uh, and X-Force. And so I think that um, it behooved me to lean into more of my comfort zone and to do something that was uh, inspired by sort of a mix of Cormac McCarthy's The Road and Jack Kirby's uh, mid-70s stint on Cap, um, and to do something that unearthed things about the character and took him in a new direction. And um, that was the, the idea of Dimension Z, and when you see where it ends, and when we, when we get to the end of our story and you see the new status quo for Cap, um, it plays a very important role in, in, in sort of reconnecting with the core of the character as well as uh, redefining him. And that was, that was the, the goal I, I moved, I, I set myself up for. I think that um, Captain America is a great character, but so many of the beloved runs have hinged upon him changing costumes, somebody else becoming Captain America, him being shot. Um, you know, so much of Ed's run was 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 Bucky Barnes in the outfit that I really star started to. Uh, there was a disconnect between me and the character of Steve Rogers. He was this archetypal sort of um, ideal more than he was a human being that I identified with. And so I found that 
by showing a lot of his history growing up in the Great Depression and showing how those those subtle uh, moments and and, and and beats of his childhood uh, built him into the man who refused to not go fight in the war um, and become the man that he is, I found that that sort of helped me identify with him as a human being while also um, juxtaposing that against his raising of Ian in Dimension Z helped me sort of um, use the Ian of it all as the thing that, that kind of had him remembering his history, um, which is something that I find now as a parent that uh, as I'm raising my kids, I remember more and more of my own childhood and how it sort of, um, how, how it helped form me. Has, has, I don't want you to give anything away, but have you, um, talked about when this, this arc is, is wrapping up? Uh, yeah, to issue 10, okay. we, get, we get, we get to the big, uh, the big climax of Dimension Z. Okay. And, and you, you mentioned you do have something planned. I mean, obviously you do, you know what, what's coming up after that. And I'm not asking to you to you know spoil anything, but no, we've announced. I've talked about it. Um, the The first story coming out of the gates will deal with the return of Nuke, um, and it'll also deal with the reveal of a thing called the Weapon Minus Program. Uh, it'll also be the reveal of a new character, uh, Doctor Mind Bubble, and it will all lead into a giant story revolving around Cap's uh, brand new arch nemesis, the Iron Nail. Hmm. Very interesting. So, I mean, it, it's great. And, you know, like you said, I think I, I do love that you are doing something different. And because, you know, when, when, like I said, when I first read the first issue, I was like, oh, this is different. But then I, I embraced that. And I think it's great that you are taking this character and, and just doing all, all these different things, you know, rather than just another, you know, same story that we, we've had. Sure. Yeah. I mean, nobody... Everybody, uh, I had somebody once point out to me that superhero comics are like McDonald's and that people want to come back and they want to know exactly what they're getting and they want that comfort food. Um, and I, I sort of hate that idea. And yeah. I won't, I will, I'll never be the writer for those kinds of, those kinds of readers. I, I, I like to shake up the status quo and try new things. And, you know, to various degrees of success. And, and you know, um, some people love X-Force and some people love Frankencastle and some people love Uncanny Avengers and, and some people don't. Um, but that's, that's the hallmark of at least trying something different and, and leaving your mark. And those are the stories that um, they tend to stand out, stand out more uh, as well as uh, attempts to, uh, to try and freshen up properties and do interesting new things. And if you, uh, yeah. Well, anyway, I'm glad I'm glad to hear that you you've enjoyed the new direction. You know, you you brought up Frankencastle, and I got to say, I I did dig that that arc. I mean, you and Tony Moore, and and you know, I, I know a lot of people were you know like, what's going on in all this? But it, it's like people need to get that no matter what happens, I mean, things usually return to the status quo. And I, I guess maybe just in my gut, I I, I knew you know it wasn't going to be a permanent change, even though I had no idea how it could revert back. But I, I thought that those were, or those stories were a blast because it, it was something different rather than just the same old Punisher stories. And, and that was great. Well, yeah. Well, thank you. I am. Um, I'm very, that's one of the things that, that I'm most proud of. And it, it's interesting because everybody comes up and goes, I don't, I love this as if, as if they're one of the only ones. It's one of the most popular things I've ever done. 
but there was such a loud uh, minority on yeah. the and, and, you know, we all need to recognize the loud minorities in, 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 in the world now have the Internet where they can bang drums and make a stink to where everybody else goes, wow, that there's a lot of hate for this. Yeah. There's not. <laughs> there's not a lot of hate for it. There's a, there's a loud batch of people, and they're in the minority, who, um, who spew vitriol and have to uh, voice their negativity, and now they have the Internet to do it. Um, mm. So we've been, you know, it's interesting. The shows are always a great barometer for that because, um, you know, I, I find that, that Frankencastle and Fear Agent and X-Force uh, and now Uncanny Avengers and, and Cap are the, the books that I get brought to me most often as, you know, people really gushing and in love with them. Um, so I've learned not to gauge anything on the Internet. That's good. What about continuity? And, you know, some, some comic book readers are, are sticklers for that. And I... I knew, and sometimes it gets to me, and, and I know I shouldn't worry about it because if you look back, like you know, in the seventies, eighties, you know, even in nineties, it's like no one, no one cared if a character was in in multiple books. But you know, the, the whole thing, you know, Captain America is undergoing this, this huge, you know, story, and I, I guess what, I, what I'm getting at is, are we going to find out? where that story fits in with like uncanny avengers or you know regular avengers or should we not worry about it uh, of course you are of course you know like we you know we all we all work closely together to make sure that when you're doing something as big as dimension z that the that the ramifications are are clearly defined as well as where they will snap to and how it'll fit in with the rest of the books you know i took cap away from the marvel universe for 12 years um and when you when it's when all the when all of the crazy reveals hit in issues eight, nine, and ten, and then you see where things end, and you get the the, the sort of new status quo setup in issue eleven, all of that will be made clear, and we'll also be dealing with it in Uncanny Avengers, and um, you know, I, I I believe Hickman will touch upon it in, in the regular Avengers. So we're making sure you know we've got a plan in place for that stuff. We're all continuity minded as well, and. And I think myself now more than ever, I think when you read what's coming up in my Uncanny Avengers issue by issue, I'm working harder than I've ever worked to make sure that the story I'm building is, is, is event level, which was sort of the promise of Uncanny Avengers is that the thing will continue to be an event and, and it's going to be. It gets bigger and bigger as it builds, but that, that event also ties into uh, the other book's current continuity as well as the the long history of Marvel comic books and and sort of utilizing that uh, to make new stories that still build off of what's come before, which I feel is the responsibility of a of a book like that, and it's one that I definitely it's definitely made the series less less sort of uh, uh, profitable for me given the amount of time I've put in on the research end. It, it's just it's weird, and and I don't know if if it's annoying for you hearing people you know bring it up, but. It's like when did this happen where people started, you know, getting so nitpicky about, you know, worrying about small, it, it, people aren't. Again, it's the internet. The internet is not go to a comic book store, go to a signing, go to a convention, you get a much more positive batch of people who are who are in love. It's the people who are reading the books. The the internet is is um uh, unfortunately the majority of it is a sewer of people who think that that uh, um, it, it's there for complaining. And I'm not one of those people. I never have been. I've got things to do. I'd rather be off creating and, and making art 
than sitting around typing on a, on a computer into the ether about why I don't like uh, Havoc's new headset or something. I, I'm, a, I'm a super fan. I love Marvel Comics. I love comics in general. Um, you know, I, I spent the 80s uh, uh, reading Marvel comic books like a fiend. I spent the 90s reading indie comic books like a fiend. And I think that my um, in, in, the, in the last 10, 15 years of doing comics, my style is a nice middle-of-the-road middle school. Um, but in all that time, as fiendish as I was, um, I would go online and, and, and hit chat rooms and, and, and talk comics. But um, I think that you're just you're just seeing it. it's always been there. It's just now. It's like there's a line in The Simpsons where Homer says the the internet super high or you know the information super highway. Let let everyone know what some nerd thinks about Star Trek, um, and and that's what the internet is. It's it's just a it's a pipeline for, again, uh, a minority of people to be pedantic and, and complain, which um, that's, those aren't my people, people who waste their time with that kind of stuff. But at, at least there are some people who, who do the praising also. Yeah, and I'm not saying praising is better. I, I, I'm just saying that, like, you know, like uh, critique is one thing, whether or not it's, 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 it, it, it's valid, uh, you know, that's always relative. But what you see a lot of speaking to what you were saying is people who are nitpicking about small continuity glitches or complaining about you know this or that or all they can do is be sort of nasty and hate filled um, and you know the internet is basically walk out to go to a mall and then look around and think well there's the you know the internet could be any of these people just randomly typing any thought in their head um, we can't use that as a petri dish and we definitely can't use it to uh, to gauge if we are successful or, or, or failing at our, at our jobs and writing stories. We have to sort of use ourselves for that and our, our editors and uh, listen to our hearts lest we pander. <laughs> now, in um, Uncanny Avengers, you, you, you're, you're slowly bringing in little, little elements from Uncanny X-Force. Uh, was, was that something that you had planned from the beginning? Um. Yeah, well, I mean, I had a lot of plans for X Force Year Three, um, and when all of uh, when all of the big shakeup happened, I started to get the notion that I would throw it out. And um, in talking with Nick Lowe and then Tom Brevoort, um, I realized that there was there were so many great ideas there, and I had seeded that um, Warren and Pestilence were going to have these 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 children, and this was going to be this big story that I started to try and figure out how I could turn it into an, an Avengers and an X-Men story. And at first it seemed uh, it, it, it was a little daunting. And then the Kang, Kang came to me, and then I spent about three months completely deconstructing what I had and rebuilding it back up to incorporate not just Kang, but the uh, Red Skull onslaught of it all. And it turned out to be about a, a, a 25 to a 30-page um, um, outline uh, so or, or, worth of issues so right now I'm looking at about 30 issues worth of outline 25 of which I've got almost entirely locked in place that uh, kind of grew out of mixing the Kang mythology with the Apocalypse mythology with the um, uh, Red Skull and Onslaught ideas that I had which tie into the desecration of Charles Xavier and all of these wonderful things that we set up in the first storyline um, so 
It was, it was, uh, uh, there's a, there, there are a lot of grains of the original plan still in there, but I think that if you adhere too closely to your original plan when you try and rebuild something, that it can start to fall apart. So a lot of it is rebuilt from the ground up using um, bits and pieces of the original X4 stuff, building out of that, but then also building out of a lot of the Kurt Busick Kang stuff and uh, a lot of um, what I've been uh, uh, planning to do with, uh, with Red Skull and Onslaught. Because uh, it's like each issue, it, it just feels like you're you're raising a level, like you're making it bigger and bigger. You know, bringing in all these elements, and it's it's I'm I'm getting excited. Like the, the more I read it, you know, seeing bringing Kang in, and then you know the, the Apocalypse Twins and everything with with Thor. It's it's like, and then Un- Uncanny Avengers number ten. So you're 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 bringing some some characters back. I know Marvel, you know, they, they, the way they, or, you know, publishers in general, they usually have a list, like, you know, you, you can do certain things with these characters and, and these, was like, like Banshee, cause I'm, I'm, I'm so surprised that he remained dead for so long, so was it just a matter of, like, they're like, sure, or did nobody decide to, to try to bring him back before? Uh, I, I don't know who it had or hadn't tried to bring him back. I know that it's been on my list of things that I wanted to do for a while, but I didn't have the perfect way of doing it. Um, at one point, I was going to make him a Deathlock when the Deathlock. I had a, a bigger Deathlock story that was going to go uh, hop around back into X Force in year three, and I, I, um, uh, it didn't feel uh, it, it worked, it, 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 and it didn't work. But then when I got to this point in the story where I was putting together the new horsemen and uh, it went through so many iterations as we were trying to figure out something new and unique and I kept you know, shattering the mold and rebuilding it and every time I kept thinking about um, uh, context for characters and each one of the horsemen needed to have a con- some context. The twins needed to select their horsemen for specific reasons in dealing with the Avengers Unity Squad, which is the squad that they see as uh, most in the way of their goals. And that'll become uh, clear as to why moving into issues 10, 11, 12. Um, And um, Banshee uh, fit very nicely in that he was killed by Alex's uh, brother Vulcan and that uh, uh, Scott just killed Professor X, uh, who, who, you know, um, Sh- Sh- Sean was a big, uh, you know, it was like a father figure to him and his, his mentor. So Banshee had a lot of reason to look at Alex with a cocked eyebrow as, you know, what mistake are you going to make, Summers? Uh, you know, and, and see, that basically, he's, he's not a big fan. This Ban- Banshee's back, and, and he's one of the, the horsemen of death, the, the legion of the unliving, basically, mixed with the horsemen. And he's, uh, he's not a big fan of the Summers clan. Uh, I think that, you know, and, and when I started digging into that, I saw that this was a really great opportunity to bring him back. And then his powers and, and souping those powers up, I came up with a number of things that, that excited me. And, and it excited Tom and Daniel, my editors, and we moved forward. Now I don't know if you can answer this or if you should answer this, but with Century, is is the Void going to be part of them still, or is that a wait and see? Um, I, I deal with it in 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 issue eleven. Um, issue eleven is a big Century issue where we reveal his status quo as the the apocalypse of humanity and all of the crazy things going on in his head. And I would hate to give away a whole lot of that um, because I think that it 
I think it has some payout in the story. So I'll just say that uh, uh, I, I, I put more thought into the Sentry than, than I, I, I wanted to have to, but the more I dug into that character and, and such a convoluted history, which uh, had a lot, of, uh, a lot of great gems hidden throughout and some not-so-great ones, uh, in order to re-envision him and reimagine him, given the power level that he has as one of the horsemen, basically when you take Warren Worthington and turn him into Archangel, you take somebody who can fly and then you give them a nice power-up. Um, when you take somebody like Sentry and, and give him a power-up into the you know, Century of Death, he, um, he becomes insane, and, and, uh, and he already is fairly insane, as it turns out. Um, and I wanted to deal with that in a way that felt smart and that had a clear motive and that fit the character, um, while also dealing with the Void and the new Death persona that'll be inside of his head. Um, and to do something with the character that, that felt new and fresh and, and really terrifying. Um, and I think we've done that. I've, 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 written, I've written up to issue 12 right now, and issue 11, the big century issue. Uh, uh, I'm very excited to see what, what Acuna does with it, because I think there's a lot of cool stuff with him coming up. Yes, that's great. It's crazy, but it's great. I can't wait. And, and, and to be clear, I'm not using the crazy for, for crazy's sake. I no, mean, no, no, no. I, I meant it's crazy, that just idea. Not, oh, right, right, right. Cool. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it's important that the mental illness aspect of it be sort of handled uh, with, with some reverence and um, still be wacky and, and crazy and fun and big, but at the same time, a little sad. You know, I think there's a sadness to Bob that I, I want to explore here a little bit. And um, yeah, so that's coming up. Now, one of my writers, um, I'm brought up, and and I didn't notice it, but I I dig it that you know you brought back the the narrator voice in Uncanny X Force. It's like, what made you decide to to do that? Because we don't see that too often. Uh, rereading some. Um well, for one, I was reading the Game of Thrones novels, and I was realizing there was so much that I can't do in a comic book because of the space limitations. Like, uh, I think people are starting to recognize the more I do these things. Like, I want to write 40-issue stories at this point, you know? Like, I want to write grand, sprawling epics, and I want to do novels in comic books. And that's very difficult to do. Uh, it, it's very difficult to propose a story to an editor that takes 30 issues. Fortunately, in Uncanny Avengers and X-Force, these grand, these grand sprawling epics um, um, have succeeded financially and in fan reaction, and people enjoy them and they sell. So I'm able to do more and more of them. Um, but I realized in doing that and then reading some of the uh, – my editor, Tom Brevoort, pointed out how much Chris Claremont used to accomplish in the old uh, Uncanny X-Men comic books, uh, even going back to what he did with John Byrne when, when they were sort of really developing the team. And those issues were like 17 pages, and they told me like eight times as much story as the modern comic book does. Yeah. And it got my head around the idea that if you can use third-person narration to enrich the story and to enrich the depths of understanding and to enrich um, uh, uh, description of characters' powers or to clarify things, that um, – Boy, what a wonderful thing we've given up for, for in order to simply make comics more cinematic. So, um, you know, in, in 2003, 2004, when I started bringing back first-person first narration, it wasn't really very popular, and it's, it's become something that, that a lot of people do now. And I just sort of uh, got my head around the idea that maybe third-person would be the same. And, like, there's some issues that I won't use it at all. There's some issues where it, it, just, doesn't, it just doesn't call for it. But then there's other places where, like, I think that it works tremendously well in scenes where you see Apocalypse's ship 
um, batter into the peak station and it starts falling towards Earth. I think being able to sort of uh, give a, a deeper description of what's going on around the world and what's happening um, really enriches the storytelling and enables me to do the kind of compressed storytelling that I like to do in order to give people what I'm always aiming for is to give you in one of my issues of Uncanny Avengers is to give you twice what you get in most comic books where it's just a lot of nonsense. Uh, I mean, in terms of um, compression and how much story you get. So it was also, um, when Tom suggested it, the third-person narration, it was also something that struck me as another opportunity to enrich the story, to give you uh, um, more. I'm obviously only using it when it gives you a deeper understanding of what it is that's that's happening. Um, if it's... If it's something, if it's new information, I leave it. If it if it feels um, extraneous or sort of uh, a double beat, I cut it. But I think that it uh, it enables me to give a richer story for your twenty pages and to uh, to earn that four dollars that you're spending. That's great. Now uh, I've been eyeing the the Fear Agent Library hardcover. Uh huh. Um, why why do we have to wait till you know? Why do we have to wait so long for the second volume? Um, it's not something I'm, I'm, I know <laughs> it's not in your hands, but really talk about. we're dealing with, with uh, dark horse right now on that. We've got some, uh, we're in negotiations on some issues. So, ah, okay. uh, but yeah, so that's been held up, but there's all, you can go get the trade paperback. Yeah. I, I mean, I have the trades, but it's, it's oh, like you're looking for the big, yeah, yeah. It's just been, it's just, it's been pushed back. It's, it's been put together and ready to go. So it, it'll come out. It just, you know, I appreciate everyone's patience on it. I know that it, it, it everyone's eager to get their hands on it, especially with the great job that Dark Horse did after the first one. So uh, we, we've been put, we pushed Dark Horse for a number of years to get that first one to come out. And, and now that it's done well, getting the second one is just a matter of uh, sorting out a few details with, uh, with contract stuff. Yeah. Cause I, I go to a uh, isotope in um, San Francisco. Oh yeah. 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 I used to, uh, used to haunt the isotope back when it was in the sunset. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I keep eyeing, that that volume one and james is like just just wait you know we'll get rick in the store and you know he can sign it for you and all that and so i know that when we do the second volume um tony and jerome and i are going to try and 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 go to isotope for a signing so hopefully the uh hopefully we can put that together that'd be cool because i'll definitely be there for that um so okay I, i know you gotta get running but but the last thing um i was supposed to ask you um what about what do you think about arun and james you know I was supposed to ask, how awesome are they over at Marvel? How awesome. They are super awesome. Those guys are, are what make me like comic books because they are effusive and positive, but there's not a sense of duplicity or uh, that it's their job. And, and in some ways it is. Um, but they also really enjoy the comics and they're passionate about them. And I just like them. They, they, they're just nice guys and, and, and they are very positive. And that positive energy really makes the experience of, of working at Marvel um, it makes it a much more comfortable one. And I think that um, <clears throat> I sort of gravitate towards positivity in general because it's something that I, I as, a, as a human being, can often uh, lose sight of the importance of. Um, and when I see somebody who, like, like Arun or James, who are both effusive and positive and, and, and very personable and, and, and pleasant people, um, and, and you, you you feed off that energy, you know? I think that when you're around people like that, it motivates you to do better and motivates you to keep going. And I've definitely had experiences with both those guys where, where that's been the case. Okay. Well, th- thanks a lot, Rick. I, I'll let you get back to 
to all your your awesome writing. So absolutely, thank you, Tony. I appreciate it so much. Yeah, you're gonna be at San Diego. Uh, I might be. Yeah, it's it's such a it's such a, a horror show anymore. Yeah. Or, yeah. I am considering it. Okay. Definitely will be at uh, the New York Con in October and the Las Vegas show next month. Okay. I, I, was, I almost was going to go to Las Vegas, but I don't think it's going to happen at this point. But No? Um, I, I've, I've done like four shows already this year, and, and I think I'm going to take May and June off just to, as we do our big San Diego planning. Right, so. right. So right on. Well, maybe I'll if I don't uh, if I don't see you in San Diego, maybe I'll see you in New York. Yeah, definitely. I'll I'll be at both. So I'll 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 hit you up. Well, thanks, Tony. All right, thanks a lot. Okay, dude. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. All right. So that was Rick Remender. Um, he's a writer, Captain America, Uncanny Avengers. Um, he's you know Uncanny X Force, uh, Secret Avengers, Fear Agent. I mean, he's he's done so much great stuff. You know, at Marvel and, and you know the, the indie stuff too. So definitely. Check that stuff out. And that Fear Agent, you know, if, if you haven't seen it, it came out, I think it was like December. And um, it's, it's, a, a, it's in a slipcase. It's, it's, it's a gorgeous book. And I keep looking at it. It's like, I, I got to get that, even though, you know, I got the, the, the trades. But I, I think you guys know by now I'm a sucker for the hardcovers. So definitely check that stuff out. Um, as far as some questions, so, you know, Rick's time was limited. So I will answer some of your questions. So uh, um, if you have questions, if, if you would like to ask, you can go to the general discussion forum on Comic Vine. Um, look for the Ask G-Man video questions. Uh, as you know, as you probably know, I used to do like 40, 50-minute videos where I would just answer your questions. But I decided to cut those down to about 10 minutes and where I just take like one or two questions in the video. And I do try to do more questions here on the podcast uh, there's also on Twitter, Twitter, I don't know why I said it like that. You can, you know, at reply me, G man from heck, use a hashtag ask G man. Um, I gotta say sometimes Twitter is weird how with the hashtag, I, I need to talk to someone at, at Twitter incorporated because, you know, sometimes these tweets are saved in, in the, in the hashtags, but then other times it's, it's like, it's selective on, on how many of them stay there. Because like if looking right now, I'll see some that go back to. I'll see this is weird because now they're going back, and I'm wow, I'm going all the way back to like a year ago, whereas before it just like kind of capped off. So I I think someone mentioned to me, and this is probably the most boring part of the show. Someone told me there's a way where you can see more of the archives, but so you know you have two places to ask your, your questions. So Nightwing Nerd asks. Hi, my question is, what is your favorite issue of Batman New 52 and Nightwing New 52? Uh, that's, that's a tough one. Um, as far as Batman, uh, I might have to say, what was it, number, uh, was it number five or number six? The, the crazy issue where you know, he's in the labyrinth and you know, the Court of Owls has him captured. And you just really see Batman, you know, he, he's, he's been there for like a week and you know, he's like losing it and, and just the way Greg Capullo did the layouts and where, you know, you have to flip the comic around, you know, upside down. And that, that was crazy. Uh, as far as other ones, um, I think the, the end, the, the, the big reveal, um, for, for Lincoln March, I thought that was, was really cool. And I loved the, the connection to the silver age comic, um, 
the one with dead man. I forget what, what issue I, I wrote an article about that. Um, I also, you know, I, I really dug the finale of death of the family and, you know, people say nothing really happened, but just the, the big reveal, like what Bruce knew and didn't know the risk he took, you know, after that, that one encounter with the Joker and, you know, just how he knew Joker's mind so well. And, you know, he, he caused him to push himself away and, you know, plummet to his supposed death, which we know that's not the case. So it's, it's hard to narrow it down to just one, but I mean, obviously I'm, I'm digging that as far as Nightwing. Oh, that that's, that's another tough one as well. Um, I absolutely dig what Kyle Higgins is, is doing on there. And, you know, going back to the court of owls and all that, the, the, the reveal of William Cobb, you know, his connection to Nightwing, Haley circus. I mean, that was just, just crazy. And, I'm really digging this this new direction going in Chicago. I mean, it's it's a, a different feel, different vibe, and it's great. I, I I'm sure I mentioned this before. Um, after uh, Black Mirror and Gates of Gotham, you know, I was I, I thought it's like yeah, you know, Dick Grayson, you know, Nightwing, he's gonna be back in Gotham. I mean, that's where he belongs. He's putting his roots down. This is great. And then when the New Fifty Two started, you know, Nightwing. He was back in Gotham, but then he's like, you know, I'm going to travel around with with Haley Circus. So he was kind of going all over the place, and that that kind of bothered me a little bit because you know I, I felt like he should be back in Gotham with with Bruce. But then, you know, maybe it's it's whatever the editorial standpoint, you know, having all these crossovers, and, and you know, there's benefits from the crossovers, and you know, it it gives people a reason to pick up you know other titles they may not be reading. And then they might discover them and, you know, realize that, wow, you know, this is a, this is a cool book as well. But I do like the idea now of Nightwing being off on his own because, you know, if you think back in the Nightwing series, I mean, those were you know, some of the really great, you know, really good stories. Like even if I think about like Nightwing and Teen Titans, you know, it, they, those stories didn't involve Batman. So it's, it's great seeing him somewhere else. And of course, you know, being from Chicago myself, just the idea, you know, it, it's kind of a neat thing and – you know, when I was in Chicago for C2E2, you know, walking around, you know, after the show, you know, to get dinner or whatever, you know, you kind of think about it, you know, you see the L going by or you're like, like trying to picture, you know, Nightwing swinging around between the buildings and it's just kind of cool. So I really like the idea of that. And I think for me, it kind of made it, it kind of brought it closer to home, you know, literally, because, you know, when you see, the real cities like, you know, in Marvel comics when, you know, everything pretty much takes place in New York city. And, you know, I've been to New York a, a few times, but you don't really make that connection or at least I don't. But for me thinking of Nightwing in Chicago, that, that made it, you know, a, a little, little, not real, but you know, it, like I said, it brought it closer to home where when you have Batman and Gotham city, you know, that's a total fictitious city, even if it's, you know, supposed to represent, you know, somewhere, you know, some city in New Jersey or whatever. It's, it's just, it's still not the same. So the idea of, of, of Dick in Chicago, I think that's cool. So I, I can't, I hope he, he sticks around there for a while, you know, to see what, what happens you know, let him develop his own identity. You know, he has over the years, but I, I, especially with all the new readers, they might still strongly associate him with Batman. I mean, you know, the, the logo still has the bat underneath, you know, the, the Nightwing lettering. So, well, let's have him go out on his own um car 23 los 
says, what do you think is the best way to unload some of your unwanted comics? Sell, give away, donate, maybe even trade? Um, that's really going to depend on what sort of access you have. I mean, all those are, are, are a good idea because obviously you'd want to try to sell them if you can. You know, you, you paid money for those. And since there's so many comics and, you know, I don't think any of us really have an unlimited budget. So it'd be great to maybe you don't get like their, their true value or maybe you don't even get the what you paid for them. You know, if you, if you like sold them for a quarter or something like that. You know, it, it's some extra money where you can buy more comics or pick up some trades or, you know, try something different. thing is, it's not easy to, to sell comics. Even if you have a comic that's worth, you know, $20, $50, it's going to be hard to get someone to actually pay for that. So it, it's weird that you have these books at certain values, but it's like no one wants to pay that. And and part of it, again, is because we're we're all on budgets. And even though there's that, that one cool book that you want, maybe because – these these stories are reprinted, you know, in trades, or you know, you can get them digitally now. So I don't know if that makes it um, a little easier to say. Maybe not right now. You know, maybe I'll wait wait on you know picking up that first appearance of whatever. So selling is a little harder. And again, don't try selling your comics at, at comic stores. I mean, unless the store welcomes that, most stores will not want to buy comics. And if they do buy comics, they cannot give you what what they're worth if you have a comic that's worth a hundred dollars they can't give you a hundred dollars and then sell it for a hundred dollars because they're not getting anything out of it they need to make a profit too it needs to be worth their time and you know even if they gave you like fifty dollars that's fifty dollars that they're pulling out of their pocket for this piece of inventory that might not sell you know for a few months or a few years or ever so it's you know you, you got that whole risk and so selling's not not the easiest way um you can try eBay, you know, selling if you have like complete runs or complete like arcs, you know, that that's going to be easier to sell. Um but yeah. Um as far as giving away, that's that's a, a good thing you can try to do. Some libraries might take them. Um you can try like like hospitals like the Children's Ward or something like that. You know, you can say, "Hey, I got these comics." But, you know, you got to be really careful uh how appropriate they are and, you know, whether that's up to you or up to them. You know, you can say, Hey, I have these books. You might want to look them through, you know, here's the ratings. They're not always a hundred percent accurate. You know, like if this says it's, it's a teen, it's not really a teen book. I don't know if there'd be someone that would actually sit and go through them. You can try that. Um, I've given away some comics, you know, that way before. And I've, I've given some away like Salvation Army. It's just like, you know, here, here's a couple long boxes, you know, um, do what you want with them. And that way, you know, they, they can sort them out, figure it out. Um, and then there's trading. If like, that's going to depend if if you have that ability, if you have access to anyone else that you know is willing to to trade some stuff, and it's going to depend on, on what you want to get out of it. You know, if, if you're if you're looking for like an even trade, like I have six comics, I want six comics from you. You know, that might be a little harder. But if you say, you know, here's I have this run, um, I'd really like to get that one comic from you. You know, um, again the when character X went to Pizza Hut and you know ordered um, a sandwich, you know that might be worth a little more than the six issue arc of of whatever story you have. So different things. Um, uh, it's just you got to be careful. As if you, some people might say, try doing it online. Like even if you were to try to do it on Comic Vine, I would I would just caution you there. You know, 
I'm, I'm not saying there's there's some shady people on Comic Vine or on the internet, but there are. So you'd have to be careful. And then you know, then there's the shipping part, and you know, it just might be more of a pain trying to do things online. So uh, Mark fifteen says, I know you're an expert on all things Amazing Spider Man. In your opinion, what is the best place to jump in? I just bought and loved Big Time Ultimate Collection and have read all the Superior Spidey issues, but want to read some of the older stories. Is it worth getting invested in J. Michael Straczynski's run just to have it all be undone by a brand new day? Um, there are some good stories there, and there are some, some interesting stories there. And it, 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 you could say the same thing about anything in, in the New 52. It's like, you know, should you not read Black Mirror? Well, that's not a really good example, but, you know, could, should you not read Black Mirror because that happened before Flashpoint and, and New 52? It's like, no. Um, I, I always bring up the Teen Titans, the Wolfman and Perez run. I, I love New Teen Titans, love that book. It doesn't hold in the New 52. It doesn't matter. I still love those issues. I will reread those issues and. You know, it, it's it's what you like, and if you're really digging Spider-Man, I would say you know even go back further. You know, I I have the the first Amazing Spider-Man omnibus, which has like the first hundred issues, and you know there's some great great stories there, and some of those you could say maybe don't really apply. You know, death of even like the death of Green Goblin. You know, when he originally died, that was undone in the '90s when they they had Norman Osborn return when he wasn't really dead and all that. So if you're looking for just really good stories or really you know cool stories, if you, if you dig the character, then yeah, it, it's it's worth jumping around and you know picking up these 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 good stories, even if they don't hold because it's another cool story, and you know you take it for what it is. So rather than worry so much about you know is this gonna hold or not, um, and and yeah, so if if you've started with big time and you're you're caught up, you know that that's a good place. But I would go back and you know I just I really love like especially like the John Romita era. I mean, there are some some great stories there, and it just they got a special place in my heart. Phantom five 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 says, "Hey G man, this question is for you and whoever else may be in the studio with you, which there's no one." Um, since we know heroes like Superman, Green Lantern, and Flash wouldn't fit in a Nolanized universe. What heroes do you think would be in a Justice League of that universe? So instead of having Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, Flash, Cyborg, Aquaman, you could have non-powered heroes like Batman, Green Arrow, like from Arrow, The Question, etc. Or would you scale down to characters like having the Flash be someone who's just naturally fast but to human level or Wonder Woman be a really strong female warrior with all her weapons, just not powered by the magic gods of the gods? Or some combo of both. Mine would be Batman, Arrow, Cyborg, Smallville style, the non-magical version of Wonder Woman I mentioned earlier. Um, that's all I have for now. But yeah, what are your your thoughts? Just the the idea of a Justice League in, in the Nolan um, Batman universe just seems weird. Um, I feel like I, I I brought this up somewhere. I don't remember if it was in a video or another podcast. Uh, it would depend on. How big, you know, you'd have to have a, a, a lower scaled team, the presence, and it would really depend on does this team, did these other characters, these other heroes, did they exist before or after, you know, Batman's time? Because, um, you know, if you think about everything, you know, Gotham City was was held hostage. 
So obviously, you know, when, when Bain and everyone, they had it, you know, everyone was, was locked off, you know, they blew up the bridges and all that. It's, it's not like, like Superman was around cause you know, he could have just flown in and say, Hey, I'm going to stop this dude. So stuff like that wouldn't happen. The idea of superpowers, it, it just, it, it wouldn't work. So even though you have a guy dressed up in a, a you know, black bat suit and you have some gadgets that kind of push things a little bit. And you had a guy that dressed up as a scarecrow and, you know, you had a guy dressed as a clown and, you know, a guy that lost half his face, you know, just things like that. There is still that, that credibility. So it, it would be hard to, to do that. So to, to, to try to bring green, green lantern in, you know, the idea of, yeah, there, there is life on other planets and, you know, there's an intergalactic police force that just, it would be a stretch to the Nolan Batman. It was just so grounded in you know some sort of reality, uh, as far as other characters, it's it's just hard. It's, I mean, part of me would say it's like I don't know if I'd want him interacting with other characters because it, it just it it would be weird. So I don't know. Um, but yeah, definitely Arrow could fit in. Yeah, you know, he he's he would work. I mean, I'm trying to think of other non-powered characters. Um, you know. You could have Nightwing. Uh, let's see who else is there. You know, it's just hard because so many characters are are just rooted in either you know magic or you know they have some sort of you know superpowers. Because you know even someone like like Shazam, you know Billy Batson, you know that wouldn't work. Um, and you know of course there there's there's the immediate Bat family, like you know Batgirl or Batwoman. But you know if we're talking about Justice League. Um, I mean, you can't even have someone like, like Black Canary, you know, someone who can scream loud, you know, would, would that work? Or, you know, Booster Gold, you know, you can't have a dude from the, the future. So I, I think it would really limit it, and I'm glad that they didn't go that route with, with the Justice League um, from what it seems like that, you know, they're not going to try it tight in because it just it doesn't make sense. It, it doesn't fit, and... You know, for what whatever they decide to do, I mean, you have to have the possibility of superpowers. So we, if if they are going to bring in Henry Cavill, you know, this aliens, you know, Superman, it makes sense that you know you're going to have that possibility. So it it's it's going to be interesting to see how they bring it all together. You know, at at the when the Superman or when Man of Steel takes place, are there other superpowered characters? But then you know, or it's almost the same thing with with uh, the Batman is when Metropolis or wherever is getting attacked by by General Zod. You know, from what we've seen in in the trailers, where are all the other characters? You know, if if they bring in a Green Lantern, yeah, maybe he's in another sector of space, so he can't do that. Um, as far as the Flash, you know, maybe he's he's fighting the Rogues or you know he's doing something else. So they're gonna have to be really careful how. They tie that together. You know, Wonder Woman can be on, on Themyscira and just not, you know, they're just not paying attention to what's happening in man's world. So it's, it's going to be really tricky to, to try to tie all that together. So I know I didn't really answer your question, but I just, I, I really can't fathom the idea of a Justice League with Christopher Nolan's Batman. Uh, Viper Sona says, is it weird that artists are allowed to make money from commissions 
or at conventions drawing characters they do not own the copyright or have permission to draw. Is there any crackdown on this like there is in other mediums such as music with samples or covers? What is a legal loophole that thankfully exists? Um, what you want to do, I don't know if maybe you didn't catch it, but the, the episode where Sean Murphy was on, he was actually pretty candid about this. Um, I don't believe there is necessarily like a, a strict rule like, you know, the, the publishers say, okay, you can do this or you can do that. You can't do that. It, part of it, it I think it, it's, it's like kind of like an unofficial, you know, it, it goes without saying type of thing where, you know, obviously the publishers know that artists are doing commissions and they're getting paid for it. But it, it kind of goes hand in hand where any artist can draw Batman, even if they're not a Batman artist. But if you are a Batman artist, that's going to get give you a certain amount of recognition. If you are known as the Batman artist or, you know, one of the Batman artists, you know, people are going to want to want your version of Batman. I mean, like uh, a couple weeks ago, um, I forgot what convention it was, but like Ryan Stegman, he, he posted a, a few of his commissions and of course, most of them are Spider-Man. He can obviously clearly no problem draw other characters aside Spider-Man, but that's what people want because he's like the hot Spider-Man artist right now. You know, people want to see his version. They they want a piece of that. But it, you know, you can go up and say, "Hey, Ryan Stegman, I want you to draw Wolverine, or I want you to draw Wonder Woman." You know, he would could do it. You know, there, there's most likely he could do it. I'm assuming he can do it. I believe he can do it. So, what the publishers do, you know, they they want these artists, and you know, especially the ones as they start you know, gaining more more popularity popularity they want them to be on board so that's that's kind of like an extra perk where they can do that and you know they're not making huge you know boatloads of money you know if, if you think about how much they're charging per commission how many commissions they can do you know at a show over the weekend so it's it's just an extra thing but what sean murphy was was hinting on where you know they, they kind of look at you know there, there's only so much that you can do you know some artists even sell prints and again, whether anything's negotiated there or you know, if they, they're aware of, of how much. But if you start selling too much, then they might be like, you know, you kind of need to pull back a little bit on that. So I, I think it's, it's just like a, like a friendly handshake type of thing where as long as you don't do too much, it's okay. But at the same time, I don't think they're like, you're only allowed to do uh, you know, 50, 50 sketches at, at this show. And you know, two or five hundred per year. You know, they don't do stuff like that. So they just you got to be careful, I guess, and and not not do too much. But then you know, they they also get you know the the original art um, from the comics. You know, they they split them with the the inker, the pencilers, inkers, and I think the writer might get some too. I'm I'm not sure how that works. And then you know, they can sell that for a lot of money. So you know, especially if they do the covers. You know, you want to do the covers. That's why a lot of artists switch to doing covers rather than doing interiors because, you know, they can sell the covers for a lot more than the interior page. Um, Nightwing Nerd says, what do you think about the new artist Brett Booth on Nightwing? And what do you think of James Tinian taking over Red Hood and the Outlaws? So uh, Brett Booth's on Nightwing. I believe they just recently announced that he's he's doing, I think, a, I don't know if he's just doing a couple issues or a issue of Just League of America. So that's going to be cool because um, um, I don't know if 
David Finch is is getting behind or what? You know, because we saw seven weeks between um, issues. What was it, two and three? So that's gonna be cool. I just don't know what that means about him on Nightwing because um, he's never official. DC's never officially said like how long he's gonna be on there. Because I, I know I remember someone asked me and then they asked him on Twitter and I think he said he was working on at least you know twenty and twenty one or or something like that. Um, 22 I, I don't remember what, what what he said so we'll have to see but he's he seems like he's one of those artists that it's almost like a machine you know he does a lot of the character sketches the redesigns that it seems like that he's one of the, the go-to guys for that so i don't know if he's just a, a a fast guy and you know maybe he he can still do both of it if he's just doing a issue of just league of america or two issues you know, maybe he can fit them both in but we'll have to see how that goes but the He's he did great on the the two um, Nightwing issues that he did in Chicago, so I, I love that. As far as, as James Tynan, um, he's great. I mean, he's he did a lot of the the backups in Batman. I mean, he he knows this stuff. So I'm curious to see where he's going to take Red Hood and Outlaws. I know some people are kind of like, wait, what's going on here? So I'm definitely going to see what's going to happen next. So I'm 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 all for that to see where what he's going to do and you should also check out um with the the seventh sign seventh seal his um his book it's at, at um you should uh go to thrillbent.com or you can even get him on, on comicsology and it's it's um the eighth seal not the seventh seal or whatever i said seventh sign eighth <laughs> seal and uh so we, i did an interview and and you check that out cuz like the first i the two first two issues are out and it's it's kind of like the the marvel infinite comics where like um you get little changes like panel by panel or page by page and it's just it's great um i i i really dig james stuff should get him on a podcast sometime um he's also been in the the off their minds videos from c2e2 so you should check those out uh matt wing and i actually i did that one um cyclops with an e cyclops it's like cyclops um i've been listening to podcasts ever since it began this is my first post i want to ask what happens to hulk when bruce banner dies of old age um he's gonna die as well so i'm I'm trying to think if they i think that actually happened i think there is a hulk the end story where uh you know, it was it was in the whatever future. Um, I forget how how far into the future it was, but the Hulk, if I remember this correctly, he wasn't able to change back into Bruce because if he did, that would mean his death. And this might be a spoiler. Um, if if again, if my memory serves me correctly, I think at the end he's finally like, okay, I'm done. My my fight is over. That's it. And then he did change back. You know, he was able to control it. He changed back to this old, withered, you know, Bruce Banner. He died, and that was it. Like, I don't think they they would separate. I mean, they they are essentially the same person, even though they're different personas. So, if Bruce Banner dies, Hulk you know, is going to be dead too. So, there's that. That's why, like, when you see like Maestro in the future, you know, there's usually not a Banner because you know maybe he just doesn't want to change. He's too vulnerable. Second question, what happened to Cyclops' mask? Well, when he first appeared, his head was all covered in the 90s. Um, he only had a visor. Now he has the X thing, which is kind of weird. How can he see through that? Um, 
I don't know how he's, you know, that that's a big question. It seems like it would obstruct his like peripheral vision unless, you know, there there's just dark, um, like, you know, sunglass material, polarized, you know, lenses on the side of it. But it just seems like it, it would make him go cross-eyed or something like that. And so, yeah, you know, in the beginning he did have a, a complete mask with his visor, but then maybe he, he figured, you know, it was messing up his hair. You know, he would have mask hair when he, when he tried to take it off. So then in the 90s, yeah, he just had the visor so his hair could, could blow in the wind and all that. And now he's back to the full mask, which is weird because now more than ever, everyone knows that Cyclops is Scott Summers. You know, it, it's not a secret. So it's not like he needs a full mask. Maybe it's, it's just easier to keep the visor on. You know, it's less likely for someone to run up to him and pull it off. And then, you know, he's like, oh, I can't control my beams. So maybe that's why he's got the... the the full mask. As far as the X, maybe he thinks it looks cool, you know, because he's does the the hand crossing the the arms, you know, symbol thing. So that's it. It's just kind of weird. Um, and then Cyclops with an E says, "I hope you get Mark Wade, Dan Slot again, or Stan Lee on the podcast." Um, I'll I'll try for Mark Wade at some point. He's you know the guy. He's super busy. He's seems like he's doing so much these days. Um, Dan Slot. Um, I did recently ask him like a week or so ago and I was like, Hey, when are you going to be on a podcast again? And he's like, soon ish. Um, but then last week he did tweet just out to everyone. He's like, Hey, blanket statement here. Um, I won't be able to do like interviews or podcasts or anything for a while. I'm, you know, doing a lot of work right now. And, you know, he's, writing a book, you know, twice a month. And, and yeah, you know, other people do more than that, but you know, he's, he's probably got other stuff going on. And so he's, but he'll be on again sometime. As far as Stan Lee, I don't know about that. Um, that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> Night Thrasher says, is it possible to explain pre new 52 Hawkman's origin in Twitter format, 140 characters or less? Um, it, it depends on, which which version you want you know about the as for i'm not going to count my characters you know to 140 but there is a the whole you know resurrection reincarnation you know past lives so just go go to hawkman's page and on comic vine and look up his origin because there's too much to say i don't know if it can be done in 140 characters he's a dude that can fly he's got wings sometimes he's an alien sometimes he's not um Mr. Fuzzy Nuts says G-Man. Um, G-Man. Anyways, I was wondering what your feelings are when, su- when supporting character races get changed during movies. Um, I feel like I, I... Did I do this in a video? Um, Kingpin Hemdale Bishop from the Spawn movie came to mind. I'm not suggesting any racial overtone with it, but it seems... It's a box office bang versus respecting source material. To me, it takes away from the experience of watching the film, as it was the case with Daredevil. I never got into the Kingpin character because he looked and acted nothing like the comic version. Keep doing your thing, my man, and give the family a big hug this morning. Um, I, I feel like I've, I've, I've addressed this before. I remember if I talked about this in the video. But the whole thing about race, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence with it. I think when you have the the main character, you should do your best to stick 
to their proper race. Spider-Man should be a white dude. Um, Luke Cage should be a black dude. You know, it, it goes for, for, for both characters. You know, a lot of people say, would say, why can't, you know, a black character, Hispanic character, you know, Asian character, why can't they, they be Spider-Man? And part of it is, it's just how close to the, the original source material you want to be. And with these, the main characters, people kind of have an idea who they are. So if you try to do a drastic change with, you know, Wonder Woman or Batman or, you know, anyone like that, people are going to notice. They're going to be like, this is a little different. Not that they're being racist or anything like that, because I really don't think that really comes into it. It's about who the character is. And, you know, if you want to get extreme, it's like saying, why can't a dude play Wonder Woman? You know, you're, you're being sexist. You're, you're, you're excluding male actors from this role. You're preventing them from their chance to shine wearing the tiara and her, her little outfit. But, you know, it's, it's kind of the same thing. And, yeah, it's not the same thing, but it is kind of the same thing. As far as, as the minor characters, I think because a lot of people don't know those. And by, when I say a lot of people, I'm talking about like the people who go to the movies. You know, they're not going to know who Hemdale is. They may not have even known who Thor was before. So that's not that big of a deal. So it just kind of depends. And the sad reality is they're not making the movies for us comic book people. You know, it is about making money. And you know, when these movies have budgets that are in the millions, they need to make that and more. And, you know, the more profits they make, the more movies, you know, more likely they're going to be to make other movies. I'm not saying that they should just completely sell out and do whatever they feel is necessary to, to make more money. But I, I, there has to be a little bit give and take, you know, because when it comes to adapting comic book characters, there's always going to be something that, that's changed for whatever reason. We just have to accept that. When it comes to the, the minor characters, and, and you know, I don't want to belittle them by saying minor characters, but that's just something that we have to accept. And, you know, I didn't have a problem with Michael Clark Duncan. Duncan Clark, I always forget his name. I'm sorry. But, you know, he, I thought he was fine as, as a kingpin. If they, you know, changed Matt Murdock, you know, if he wasn't, you know, an, you know, an Irish lad or whatever, that that would be a, a problem there. So I don't know. It's just it, it it really comes down to how much you care about that character. You know, if if you're a big Kingpin fan, yeah, you're gonna notice. But if if you're just like, oh yeah, Kingpin, okay, he's he's just a big dude that you know Daredevil fights and Spider Man fights. So that that's when it's gonna get personal, I guess. Battle form junkie says, hey G man, this question just popped into my head while watching your most recent video. I know this is a short question, probably not worth the whole video, but um, I was wondering what made you choose G-Man as your Comic Vine username? Um, you know, I, I can maybe throw that into a video as well. Um, I'm Hopefully you're watching or you're listening to this. It's it's really not, not an interesting story. Um, what it comes down, I can answer really quickly is when we started the site, you know, we needed to come up with our, our superhero personas. My last name, as you know, is Guerrero. starts with a G. And so I came up with the idea of this G-Man type character. I wrote a, um, there's a, a, a superhero story, super, you know, background story on, on my quote-unquote character. I'm not sure if it's still, if it's like buried somewhere on, when we relaunch the site. 
but yeah, there is a, a background on him. Um, but that's about it. It's it's nothing really fancy or anything. I just thought, actually, you know what it was? Is I, I thought I'd play it safe a little bit. When when Ethan and Dave came up with their costume personas, when they bought their costumes from the, the kids section at Target, I could barely fit into them. I was just like, uh, you know, I'm my character wears a black suit and tie and wears sunglasses, and then he's got some other stuff going on. Um, I actually, I even did an interview. I went to the Cartoon Art Museum when they had, a, I think it was a Jerry Conway exhibit, and I did it dressed as G-Man. And I was like, I have no problem walking down the street in the, in the city wearing this costume, but I would not want to wear one of the other costumes, you know, the the Red Lamp or Captain Cascader costumes. So that's it. Not 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 really fancy or interesting. Um, Old Basie says Indestructible Hulk has been great through issue six, but I do have one major concern. The first five issues were illustrated by Linnell Yu. And the art, especially in the action scenes, were amazing. However, issue six had a new artist, Walt Simonson. Simonson still did a pretty good job, but is this going to be a permanent switch, or did you just take the month off? You know, I'm not really sure about that. And you know, Walt Simonson, he's a you know what you'd call a, a classic artist. You know, he's someone that you know I definitely have a lot of respect for. Um, as as far as his art. Um, then, you know, some of the issues that he's done lately, I've been kind of like, uh, you know, it, it, it depends on a, on the book. And, you know, I loved when he was on Thor, but with the Hulk issues, yeah, it, it's, it's not that it's bad. It's just, it's so different, you know, and it's, it's a different style. And that could be hard when you're, you're just into the vibe of a book. Then all of a sudden the art is a completely different style. You're just like, whoa. So, um, I don't know. I don't think he's going to be the, the on there permanently. Um, I'm not sure if Linnell's coming back, but um, yeah, I don't have the answer. I mean, you know, we could try to look up the solicits to, to see, you know, what the next few issues are going to be, but I, I don't think Simonson's a, a, a permanent switch. Ecto Borge says, what's the deal with Superman and Flash's costume? Apparently they can morph onto their bodies or something. It looks cool. Are there any superheroes with shape-shifting costumes? Well, um, Superman's costume is a Kryptonian, you know, technology battle armor or whatever. And that was introduced in, um, action comics, like five or six. It was actually, it was on, um, Brainiac ship when he, um, he had pieces, uh, items from, you know, different planets and it registered that Superman was Kryptonian and you know, that's where it formed S shield and, and all that. Um, I don't know how I feel about it. You know, it's, it's a little weird that, um, my, my problem with that. So, you know, he could, it changes, it forms on him, which makes things a little easier for him. You know, he, he can wear like a short sleeve shirt and not have to worry about his sleeves and stuff like that. But what was weird, there was an issue. I think it was an issue of Superman, um, earlier issue where when he changed, it formed a cape as well. But, you know, if we, if you've been reading action comics, the early Grant Morrison ones, we know that the, the cape came from Krypton. It was indestructible. You know, it, it, you shoot bullets at it. You know, it doesn't do anything to it. So it's like that cape doesn't become part of the Kryptonian battle suit. So that continuity, whatever, it was a problem. As far as the Flash, his suit is made from the Speed Force. And um, it's weird that the costume 
actually forms on top of Barry's clothes. So my my question is, that's going to make his clothes super wrinkly because you know it's it's so form fitting that it's it's going to be like really super snug. I think it'd be a little uncomfortable, or maybe it's it's just it's really soft but durable. Um, and I think I when I asked Brian or Francis about it. They, you know, maybe somehow does the speed force irons the clothes when, you know, because of the properties or elements of it. I don't remember. So um, as far as other superheroes with costumes that can morph, um, I don't think there's there's anyone else. I think it's, it's just them because, you know, Batman's is just a suit. Um, yeah, no one else. I, I'm, I'm maybe I'm forgetting someone, but. Yeah, we we don't really need that. Um, I, I guess you could say um, Green Lantern suits. You know, those are supposedly you know light constructs. Even though originally, Hal Jordan took Evan Sur's costume, which is kind of gross if you think about it. You know, he I, I think I wrote an article about that where he this poor dead alien he stripped him naked and then put on his costume without even washing it or anything. You know, and he's like, I'm Green Lantern and he's wearing and suit from a dead alien. So it's kind of weird. Um, Gerzen is not says I have really been enjoying guardians of the galaxy series and I'm trying to collect all the older issues. And I'm very excited for the movie. I know you've discussed this on one of the podcasts several times regarding how it will be perceived by the public since the new series has Iron Man, including him in the movie would most likely boost its ticket sales. I had a thought. What if Iron Man was completely CG in the movie and to get Robert Downey Jr. Or even, um, the voice from Avengers Earth Midas Hero, Eric Loomis, to voice over. I think he did a very convincing Tony Stark Iron Man animated series. Um, this might be more cost-effective for the studio and can still reach the fans of the other Marvel movies that do not read comics. That, um, So, yeah, that, that idea has come up where Tony Stark could be with the team. He could be out in space, but he's in, in suit. And you know, in costume the entire time, or maybe you know he's just controlling it from Earth, which would be more of a stretch. It, it, I think it would just be weird because, especially if, if you look at like Iron Man three, I mean, he hardly wore that costume. It's like this is like like should have been called Tony Stark three instead of Iron Man three, uh, and and that was because with Robert Downey Jr. and you know whenever you got these high profile actors, you want their presence on screen, and if you just have him in the suit or a stuntman in the suit or a CG suit, it's like, then why do you need, need the actual actor? You know, you're not really seeing them. So they could try to do that. It would just kind of be weird and it could sort of work. But the reason people like Iron Man so much is not because of the character. It's because of Robert Downey Jr. And, you know, yeah, getting his voice could help. But they're still trying to negotiate Avengers 2 or – Iron Man 4, you know, and trying to get him to do Guardians of the Galaxy. I don't know. So it would be interesting if they did that, but um, we'll have to see. Um, Jinx Uandi says, just one question this time. Given Marvel's history uh, for turning popular villains into heroes, um, do you think there is any chance that Superior Spider-Man could continue in his own magazine when Peter comes back? I know you have your own theory about what happened in Amazing Spider-Man 700, but Marvel could just easily find a body for Doc Ock when Pete becomes Spider-Man again. Thanks for making my work week easier, um, as always. I So, yeah, um, 
let's let's go. You know, ignoring my my theory, let's say um, it is Doc Ock's mind in in Peter Parker's body. Um, Peter Parker is going to come back somehow, even though recent events would say that can't happen. But let's say there is some way, and uh, let's say they make a clone. You know, jackals running around, and we know there's other stuff coming up. So they have some other body. Doc Ox can go in there, and you know maybe it's just an, it's another Spider-Man clone body. I don't think they would go that route. I don't think you would have Amazing Spider-Man, and then have Superior Spider-Man, and then have Kane as Scarlet Spider, and then there's also the rumor which I am not getting my hopes up about Ben Riley returning. You can't have this these this many Spider-Men running around because it it's too much of the same thing with. Scarlet Spider with Kane, there is definitely a different feel because you know he doesn't you know fully see himself as a hero, and you know he he's he's trying to do that. If they bring back Ben Riley, which obviously I would love, and then you have Doc Ock as Superior Spider Man, and you have Amazing Spider Man, that's just too much. So I I don't know. We'll we'll have to wait and see. Um. Nightwing nerd, so I'm sorry, this is like a month old. But he says, hey, Tony, I was wondering what you think about the new pictures for the daughter of the Joker. So this came out about a month ago, and we saw, speaking of Brett Booth, um, his design, we saw the Joker's daughter, and it's like, what the heck, who, you know, who is this girl that seems like she's wearing um, Joker's face? Because if you go back to that issue of Death of the Family to the, the finale, to issue 17. When he falls off the cliff, his the, the mask breaks, you know, because he had, like, the leather straps or whatever keeping it on. That comes off. So we know Joker's not dead. We know he survived somehow. But if he, like, fell in the river, the underground river, and floated away somewhere, face probably got separated from him. As far as is this Joker's daughter, I'm not buying that it's his actual daughter. And, you know, maybe it is, maybe it's not, but it's probably some deranged female who thinks he's her her dad or wants him to be her dad. She finds the mask, somehow she comes across it or whatever, or someone gives it to her, and then she decides to put it on and then take on his fight against sanity. I don't know. But... um. Because otherwise, if she actually was his daughter, you know what that means? That means that the Joker was intimate with someone. And that is not something I want to think about. And I, don't, I hope it's not something you really want to, want to think about. Uh, it's just... Because it's like... Because like, when would this have happened? Who was the mom... Who's the baby mom or whatever? It just, it, it uh, uh, yeah. I, I just, I don't, I don't think it's possible. <laughs> um, I, there's one question on um, that I'm seeing on Ask G Man on Twitter. Um, this is from Reggie Rivet. R- Red Rivet says, "Is Iron Man still a unique character when you consider Deathstroke's armor and Batman has contacts that do the same thing as as Tony?" Um, well, Iron Man's not unique because, you know, you, you have War Machine. You know, Rhodey 
took over from Iron Man for a while, you know, and he took the the war. He was Iron Man, and then he took the the War Machine costume. Um, and so many people in New Fifty Two have armor now. You know, Batman is essentially wearing armor. He doesn't fly around or do anything like that, which makes you wonder. It's like, why doesn't he do that? Why is he still swinging around when he can? We've seen that Wayne Enterprise has, you know, flying suits and prototypes. I guess it's just a cost and the way Batman goes through suits, you know, he doesn't want to spend that much money. So, uh, I, I'm not a big fan of the Deathstroke armor. Uh, they, the, it, we posted the Dakota Bukia statue of, of that, that version. That looks really cool. I will admit that. Yeah. But I'm still a big fan of the original Deathstroke with the pirate booties and, and all that. Um, the chainmail, yeah. I I I just out of nostalgia, I I prefer that. Um, let's see, you know, maybe just do another one. Um, Ectoborge again. Maybe I shouldn't do that because you already asked one, but too late. Um, he says, "Beware, the Batman is supposedly taking a darker tone and using more obscure and recent villains like Professor Pig. Who would you like to see on the show?" Um, I'm not sure if it how dark it's going because if you read the the free comic book day issue, um, it it didn't really seem that dark, uh, and there was mention I don't know how accurate this was that because of what happened last summer um, at the Dark Knight Rises one of the screenings that you know they decided they were going to cut back on some of the violence. So I don't I don't know about that. Um, as far as who I'd like to see. You know, you got the regular villains. You know, I, I want to see Riddler. I'd I'd like to see Joker once in a while. Um, not I don't want him used too much. Um, you know, Mister Freeze. I think he'd be cool. Clayface. You know, I'm not a huge fan of him in the comics, but you know, I I think in, in the in the an in, in animated series that could be cool. Um, but what would be really cool? So what if we have the Court of Owls, the Talons in there? That would be cool. Um, and of course, you know. What about like a Robin? Would we have Damien under? It kind of—I kind of get the impression that this is maybe a slightly younger Batman. It's hard, it's hard to say. You know, we we haven't seen much. Um, Ectoboard says he'd like to see Damien. The question: Spectre, Azrael, nobody. Court of Owls, Hush, Red Hood, Black Mask, James Gordon Jr. Um, I'd I'd like to see Cassandra Kane and Lady Shiva. Um, I just I don't think we're going to see Cassandra Kane. The original promo image had Katana on there, and you know because at first people were like, "Is is that Cassandra?" But no, it was it was Katana. She looks like a younger like a, a schoolgirl, I think, if I remember correctly. And you know, with with her sword, why they're they're why would they use Katana instead of Cassandra? If if you you know you want some um, female sidekick, deadly. You know, character. It's like, ah, uh, now I'm getting ticked off. Um, so I don't know. Um, Actaboard says, also, is there a way to distinguish a superhero's rogue gallery from just people they have fought? What I mean is that when I search Batman's enemies, Dark Side shows up. It would be nice if we could have a checkbox or something so that we could filter down to their classic rogues if we wanted. Um, I agree with you there because, you know, um, I, I've seen some some weird things. Like, I I bet that Darkseid is listed as an enemy of some of the X Men from 
when we had that that I think it was Dark Side when the, the X Men and Teen Titans crossover. Um, so the same thing. I think Deathstroke was in that. So he might be listed as an enemy of like Cyclops. And yeah, that doesn't make sense. The problem with that is where do you draw the line? You know, if take someone like like Kingpin, is he a Spider Man villain or is he a Daredevil villain or a Punisher villain or is he a villain of all three? And so there are some who are considered their their villains. You know, so we take um, Joker, Riddler, Penguin, Mister Freeze. You know, all those those are Batman villains. But at the same time, you know, what about Two Face? Two Face has a strong connection with, with Nightwing. So could he be both of their villains? Um, and then, you know, if if you take someone like Darkseid, he's a big villain to Batman in Justice League in U fifty two. And there's also you know Final Crisis you know stuff that happened there. So it's it's just just it's it's crazy. I, I think it'd be too hard to monitor, and I think there'd be a lot of um, not necessarily arguing over it. But you know, if it was a matter of checking or unchecking. I'm sure there could be like a battle going where people would be checking on checking every day just to try to make their their opinion count. And you know, we could try to change this like where okay, you have to have a certain number of points in order to to access that or you know or maybe um the high perf- you know editor on a page could do it, but it just seems like it'd be hard to to have everyone agree because we're on the internet and people don't always agree when that's that's the sad thing. Um, and then Ectoborg says, thanks for fabulous podcast, keeping me awake during finals and final crisis. So that's going to be it for this week. Um, thanks again to Rick Remender. Um, oh, I, I should also mention, <laughs> I've just been so messed up where two weeks ago and last week I said we we're going to have the return of someone. Obviously Rick Remender was not the return because this was his, um, Invincibly Super Massive Convo Podcast and stuff debut. Um, so oh, I just realized. So yeah, th- this person in mind is still coming back. Not next week because next week I have someone else who will be there first time. Um, and after that, I might have someone locked in. And then I was actually um, talking to someone else during or through an email maybe like down the line someone else so um yeah so the good thing is looks like we got guests lined up so that's always the 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 tricky part is is coordinating the schedules so i hope you have appreciated i appreciate hope you enjoyed this show i appreciate for you listening this much listening to me ramble i'm almost an hour on my my own uh if you have questions go to the general forum Ask G-Man video questions, answer your or put your questions there. Go on Twitter. So I'm G-Man from Heck on Twitter. Use the hashtag Ask G-Man. We'll answer your questions. We'll have the regular podcast also. You can check that out. Um, there will be another Ask and Ye Shall Receive video. Um, there should have been one this week. There will should be one next week as well. So again, as always, thank you all for listening. I appreciate every one of you. Even you right there making faces while you're listening, shaking your head at me. That's okay. I, I I get that from time to time. So I'll be back again next week. I'll talk to you. So just try to be nice to everyone. So thanks and good night. So, so my question, my is, question is, is, could it be? We don't know. And I would like to ask which comic book best affects you most emotionally. Yep. 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 Yep.
that's the question. Don't shake your head. I love Alan Davis. This is a John Byrne issue. I love Alan Davis. I, I, I wasn't a fan of this. That's the question. You can't blame the immediate creative team. I gave this a two. <laughs>